Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance podcast. I am your co-host, Nate. And I'm Chris. Welcome back. Uh, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, how are you feeling today, Chris? Feeling pretty good today. Yeah? Feeling good. How's Take that coffee we had earlier? You know, it was great. I don't know if it was the best coffee I ever, ha- ever had, um, but it was it was very good. It was deep. It was thick. And I like a good black coffee. So, Jude, if you're listening, uh, we, we stopped by 1018 uh, on the way to the studio today. Uh, this is where, for uh, those of you who heard on uh, one of our podcasts a couple of episodes ago, we had Jude St. John on. He told us that the best coffee in the city is at 1018 Cafe here in London. So we stopped by there. We grabbed some coffee. I loved the coffee. I, I'm right there with you. It's probably the best cup of coffee I've had here in the city so far. Um, I'm not sure if I like it better than the the locomotive uh, espresso long black. But uh, but anyway, Chris uh, Chris isn't convinced yet. So you're going to have to come on back, back on here and help Chris see the light. I, I'm really just hoping Jude offers to take me again. And just pay for a coffee. So that's really what or, I'm, I'm or for. Or he makes good on his promise to to roast us some coffee because he said he can make us better coffee than anything we'll find in London. That was a pretty audacious claim. It's it's absolutely audacious. It's bodacious. <laughs> it's salacious. <laughs> it's outrageous. Gotta love Seinfeld. All right. Um, so let's get into the episode today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Bible. Um, but we're going to start with our opening question, and the opening question is actually a really good one. Uh, so it is, is Christianity closer to Jedi beliefs or Sith ideology? So for those of you in the Star Wars universe, I'll let you think about that, and then I'm going to put Chris on the spot and ask him, Christian beliefs, are they closer to the Jedi ideologies or the Sith ideologies? Well, I, I think you have to say, like, without any thought process here, I think you have to say the Jedi, peace love. They're, they're trying to be peacemakers in the world. They're trying to make a difference in culture. Um, I think you have to look at those principles as very Christ-like. There's not a lot of them, but there's, you know, enough that there's like a body of them, a body of believers, body if you will. The- um, they seem to have an elders board, which is very, I find mm-hmm. very biblical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the they're, Jedi they're council. ruled by a plurality of elders. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All the, if I'm correct, all the Jedi Council were men, which would make them a complementarian movement, which I think is very biblical. Mm, um, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to go I, back I, and, I, I'll, I'll, check, I'll fact check you on that some, one. Somebody is going to be, just write this podcast off because I forgot about some lady Jedi that I've not memorized. I'm actually embarrassed that I, if I forgot one. But if I have, she's probably just like, you know, not, minor really, character. A, not really an elder. Right. Um, All right, I'm going to push back on you a little bit here, Chris. You disagree? Well, I'll go with the Sith for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I don't think either of them are obviously, you know, showing a Christian worldview, but I'm going to say Sith for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Jedi are way too Buddhist for me, right? They're all, you know, meditation. And I know, you know, someone tells us meditate on on the law day and night. Um, But they're a little too Buddhist and they're a little bit too much like, you know, that the force is in all of us and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go with Sith for a couple of reasons. You remember in Revenge of the Sith? So uh, uh, Anakin, after his turn to the dark side, is talking to Obi-Wan, you remember, and he says, if you're not with me, you're against me, which, by the way, Jesus says in the Gospels. Uh, And then Obi-Wan's reaction was, only a Sith deals in absolutes. And I remember when I was first watching it, I was thinking to myself, oh, that's interesting. 
cis believe in absolute truth. <laughs> and in, in a postmodern world where everybody would say, oh, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and they're both true and, and contradictory ideas are okay because there's, you know, my, my truth is just as valid as yours. Uh, the Sith, no, the Sith stand on absolute truth. They stand on absolutes. It's black and it's white. There is no gray. And so I would say that uh, their, their stance at, on there being absolute truth is, is far more biblical than the Jedi's view of, you know, everything is good and we're all hunky-dory, the kind of kumbaya. I think, in fact, the whole idea that the Jedi are closer to Christianity would kind of come from culture's view of, like, Jesus as the hippie Jesus, right? The, the, the hemp sandal-wearing, <laughs> skirt-wearing uh, surfer Jesus, which isn't, isn't the picture of Jesus I get in the New Testament. Are you telling me Jesus doesn't look like Qui-Gon? No, he does not look like Qui-Gon. First of all, uh, Qui-Gon's way too white. Liam Neeson's way too white to, to look like Jesus. But uh, no, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think uh, we get this kind of really mild, meek view of Jesus. And he was, he was meek. He was humble for sure. But we, we forget about some of the, the confrontations he had with the Pharisees. We forget about him fashioning a whip and driving people out of the temple. And, uh, and so there is that kind of confrontational side of Jesus. And I'm thinking of Ephesians, I think it's uh, 4 or 5, where it says, be angry and do not sin, right? So there's a, there's a righteous way to be angry. Jesus displayed it when he's driving out the temple. And I think the Sith also display that when they fight using holy anger. Okay, it's not holy anger, but, I, but you know, neither Sith or Jedi are overly Christian, but I would say Sith are more Christian than Jedis. Yeah, I, I think you may have convinced me here. I, I, as I've been sitting listening to speak, I was thinking about the fact that the Jedi almost reject the Force. Like, they don't want to use the Force too much. They just want to feel it. And it's like, okay, well, so they're they're just rejecting the Holy Spirit. Not that the Force <laughs> is the Holy Spirit, but, you know, in the in the analogy here, folks. Which um, will break down if you press it too hard. But. Don't press it too hard. But the Sith, they're all about it. Like, Let's get as much of the Holy Spirit in it as we can. <laughs> so I think I think you might have convinced me. And or, then the, or how about the the Sith rule of two, right? So the, there's always only two Sith, right? And there's a master and there's an apprentice. And so hey, the Sith are all about discipleship, right? It's 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 Paul pouring himself into Timothy. It's it's Barnabas pouring himself into Paul. It's Sidious pouring himself into Duku and then into Anakin. Eh? That's that's very good. So in in this analogy, that would make you the Sith Lord and me the Sith Apprentice? I guess, but every analogy is going to break down because neither one of us would be great at wielding a lightsaber. I disagree. I, w- I would use two or one of those ones with the things on both ends. Fair enough. The, the staff, the and saber staff. The last thing I want to say about the Sith, you've, you've definitely convinced me. I think I've converted. Um, the Sith are way more post-mill too. Like, they want to take over the galaxy. They want to see change. They might view it different than we would want them to, but they want to take over culture. Whereas the Jedi are just like, no, you do. You. We're just a part of culture. We, we just know, want to be here. You kind of go do your civilization thing over here, and we're going to meditate over here. They're very monastic in there. Somebody will bring balance to the force, force eventually. Right. Like, whereas the Sith are like, no, we're bringing about change. And that's very postmo. So I'm, I'm going to have to say the Sith... George Lucas nailed it. The Sith are who I'm rooting for from now on in all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> now, Go Vader. Now, we're kind of throwing out the whole uh, Jedi messianic promise of the, the one who will come and bring balance to the Force. But uh, you know what? The truth is every analogy is going to break down, so I'm going to choose my version of the story over Lucas's. And if Disney, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, um, <laughs> you might want to consider having us write a Jedi movie. I think 
that uh, I think we've proven right here that yeah. we could definitely do that. Absolutely. So. I, we, we have great credentials. So. <laughs> now that we've uh, talked about Star Wars for a little <laughs> bit, what are we actually going to be talking about today, Nate? Uh, well, the topic today is uh, answering the question, is the Bible sufficient? Uh, so there's a lot of talk out there, and most Christians would believe the Bible is inerrant, right? It's without error. Uh, most people would, most Christians would agree that the Bible is inspired, right? That the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of the Bible. Um, but this question, is it sufficient? Is it all that we need? And uh, we ask that question because there is, um, I think, a real push in North American Christianity for finding, discovering, revealing extra-biblical revelation, right? There's this idea that, you know, study the Bible and that's good, but you need something more from the Holy Spirit. And, and don't get me wrong, there's an experiential side to our faith for sure, but the question is, do we need extra-biblical revelation, something over and above what Scripture is giving to us? And I would say you have to answer no if you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to lead you to all truth, right? He, he reveals and illuminates Scripture and the meaning behind Absolutely. it and the application of it, for sure. But do we need extra biblical revelation? And I think you got to say no. We believe that the Bible is sufficient. The, the verse that comes to mind is in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and it says, uh, starting in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that we are, uh, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there we have um, Peter exhorting us, saying that we have all that we need for life and for godliness, and, and that we receive this, it says, through the knowledge of him. Where do we get the knowledge of him? Well, we get that in Scripture. It's the revelation of God. It's the revelation of God's Word. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I, I think that that's telling us, and then it goes on to tell us, um, by which he has granted us his very precious, very great promises. Again, where do we see the promises of God? The Bible is uh, where we get all of that. So I, I, I got to say, the Bible is sufficient. We don't need extra-biblical revelation. But this is a big conversation. What are your thoughts on it here, Chris? Well, I would, I would agree. I don't think we need anything outside of the Bible. Um, I think of 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17, I think it is, where it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this is the key here for me is that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So right. just a quick reading of that would say, scripture is all we need to be complete. Right. I, th- I think though, if we want to answer the question holistically we have to we have to allow for the fact that to be able to read scripture sufficiently you need the holy spirit to have regenerated your heart right. so in a in a very quick way no we don't need any extra re- revelation that isn't revealed in scripture we just need the holy spirit to reveal scripture right and that doesn't mean it's going to reveal something that isn't there it's going to reveal truth of what scripture says in our hearts so that we can understand grace, so that we can understand sovereignty, so that we can understand the whole question. Right. So it's not that there's there's extra information that the Bible doesn't provide not for us that gets deposited through the Holy Spirit, right? Or, or uh, through prophecy and all this kind of stuff, because we have everything that we need. The Holy Spirit has already spoken. 
That doesn't mean he's still not speaking, that he's still not present, but he has spoken to us through uh, the written word, and now the function is to empower us to live the way Scripture compels us to live, and also to illuminate and to teach us what Scripture is already actually saying. Exactly. We don't need we don't need anything more than the Bible for training in righteousness. Right. We have it all. We just need the Holy Spirit, like you're saying, to enlighten that to us. Right. And and one of the other verses that comes to mind is is in Hebrews chapter one, right? So Hebrews actually starts off and the author tells us, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So again, the idea here is that um, God spoke to us in, in a lot of ways. And this is one of the arguments I hear, right? In the Old Testament, they needed prophets who spoke the actual words of God. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is that that's how God spoke to us then, but now the way God has spoken to us is by sending Christ. And we know that when, when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, he, he sent the Holy Spirit. That's what happened at Pentecost. And so the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, I, I think, is wrapped up in this idea that now God has spoken to us through his Son. And so the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Christ, and the, the, seeing the picture of Christ as presented in the, in the Gospel accounts and in the epistles is, um, is seeing the, the living word. And so that's, that's the way that God has revealed himself to us. And Colossians tells us that, you know, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And so he, he is it. That's, that's how God speaks to us now. And, and so we, we have that account of Jesus in Scripture. So once again, the Holy Spirit points us to it, but the Holy Spirit is just pointing us to the documented, the documented um, story of Jesus and everything that he's done for us. That's, that's excellent. I, I, I also think of... Um, the end of Revelation, where it says anybody who adds to this book of prophecy, yeah. it, I should just read it here for us. So let me read it for you. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of, pro- of this prophecy, God will take away his share from the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And I understand that we don't want to necessarily take one verse to make a theology of the entire Bible. But I think that's, it's important that in the revelation of Jesus Christ that he ends the book with with, with a, a warning, warning yeah. to do that. And I think that's just a good principle to, we have everything we need. If you couple that with Timothy and Hebrews, we have everything we need to be equipped for every good work. Anything that we would require more, we'll get in glor- like when we're glorified, so... Let me just take you on a bunny trail for a second here, because we're talking about the Bible. And it. and what I, I mean, the reality is, is that we, we need the Holy Spirit for the application and the understanding of Scripture, right? That's the primary function of the Holy Spirit. He's called the, the Spirit of Truth, who will lead you into all truth. That's a primary function. You know, we want to we make the Holy Spirit the one who empowers us to heal the sick and... and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's there, you know, the Holy Spirit is powerful and, and, and works will accompany us. You, you can quote all those verses, but the primary function of the Holy Spirit is salvation and uh, leading us to an understanding of who Christ is as revealed in scripture. So he's the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. Um, but, you know, so this is just making me think, you know, what we do, we, we do misunderstand Scripture, so we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So just side bunny trail real quick. Uh, I mean, we all know, right? We, we, get, we get Christian bookstore cards with Jeremiah 29, 11, right, on them, you know. 
Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And uh, we all like to make that our life verse. And none of us, uh, none of us will recall when we were, you know, in exile in Babylon, <laughs> when when God gave us that promise for our life, right? Like, so the Bible. One of the things I often say is that the Bible was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. There's a first century audience to it, and so we take a lot of verses out of context. And we misunderstand them. So I'll just put, throw you on, put you on the spot here, real quick. What's your favorite Bible verse that everybody takes out of context? What's what's one verse that whenever people misquote it or misuse it, it drives you crazy? <laughs> the the one that pops out right away is Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, well, through him, sorry, I should quote it right, who strengthens me. Right. So I don't want to say that it's, that we can't do good things in Christ or anything like that. What bugs me about this verse, though, is that people apply that to mean they can do supernatural things, they can do whatever they want because they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. Or so. like athletes who are promising to win the game, right? I can do all things. <laughs> I can do all Christ. things. Yeah. I can do in all other things. words, I can win this game. I can I, win this game through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to beat Nate in an arm wrestle because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> and that's not what the verse is saying if we read it in context. Right. Because I think the problem with people is that I think I've heard many people say this, but I'll attribute it to you because you're on the podcast with me. Um, Never just read a Bible verse, right? right? Always read the context around the verse so you get an understanding of what they're trying to say. So the one for, for this is Paul, Paul is saying in Christ he can be provided for because all things like his circumstances, he's learned to face hunger, he's learned to face need, and he's also learned to face abundance and joy I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So anything, any situation that I find myself in life, I can be happy and joyful in because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. So the the actual point there is we, as people, we use that verse to say, like, I can do all things. I can win this game. And Paul's actual point is like, when you lose the game, because <laughs> you're going to lose games, you can do all things. In other words, you can find joy and satisfaction despite your circumstances in life. And yet we use that verse to make us mean, I can, I can will all the, all the things I want in my life to be here. It I becomes can, a real claim it and, or name it and claim it kind of verse. I can be successful in business because I can do all things right, through Christ. Yeah. And, and what Paul's saying is when you lose your business and you're, you're stripped bare and depleted all your savings and you lose all your earthly treasures— you can still find joy and satisfaction in Christ because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. <laughs> it's it's just hard to get a tattoo that says all that, right? So yeah, yeah, people just throw on the one, like that hipster tattoo. Nice. I'll I'll throw another one out uh, to you. It's it's actually it's in Matthew eighteen. Uh, just let me get there real quick. It's yeah, verse twenty of Matthew eighteen, uh, and we. You know, if I have to hear this one more time when somebody starts a prayer meeting and they say, uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so, you know, how many bio, or how many prayer meetings have you heard started with that? We know, Lord, that, you know, where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are. So we know you're with us here. And she's like, God's omnipresent. He's there anyway. <laughs> He's there whether there's one of you, two of you, three of you, or a hundred of you. Uh, this verse, is, it's interesting because if you go uh, up and you realize, again, don't read a Bible verse, read it in context. You recognize that starting in verse 15 is where the context starts. And it starts, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not, take one or two others along with you. So how many would there be there? 
three. two or three, <laughs> depending on whether or not you took one or two, that every charge may be established by the evidence of what? Two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. So this is actually in context talking about church discipline. <laughs> and what it's saying is that if you confront a brother who's sinning against you, uh, and he refuses to listen to you, right? So this is a, a, a Christian brother, somebody who claims to be a Christian. There's there's willful disobedience in his life. You're you're bringing it up and, and revealing it to him, and he doesn't listen to you. Then it says, bring two or three people. Bring some friends with you who know the guy, and, and almost this like stage an intervention, right? Talk to him about his sin because you care enough about him to, to reveal his sin to him. And so it ends that context where two or three are gathered uh, in my name, there I am among them. So in other words, what that's, what that's saying is that God is there. He, he's, he's present in the church discipline. He's present in uh, revealing the sin of your brothers because accountability is something that's important to God. So, I mean, it's not inaccurate to say, oh, you know, there's two or three of us here. Here Jesus is in our midst. That's true. That's true because Jesus is omnipresent and he promises to inhabit the prayers of his people. But that verse isn't talking about it. That verse is talking about church discipline. So I always laugh when we use that one out of context. You, you mean God is with me every time I pray by myself? Yes. I've been got... just finding people to pray with just so I can feel like God was with me. Well, there you go. I've liberated you from the burden of, of finding somebody else to pray with. Hallelujah. But praying with other people is still good. Still biblical. <laughs> still biblical. Uh, okay, so there's my bunny trail. But coming, kind of coming back to this idea of whether or not the Bible is sufficient— and, and yeah, we misuse some verses. Yeah, we pull them out of context. But is the Bible sufficient? Is it all we need? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that Christians, um, we, we flock after is, is experiential faith. We want to experience things, you know, outside of the Bible. And so, and sometimes it's, it's interesting when you're talking about theology, you're talking about what the Bible actually says. There's so many people who will argue from a place of what they've experienced. Well, this is, this is what I've seen. And she's like, well, what does the Bible say? If the Bible really is sufficient, right? If, if it really is all that we need for life and godliness, then we, we shouldn't need our experiences to argue our point of view. We should be able to prove it from the Bible. Now, experience is good. Right? Revelation actually tells us that we overcome the works of the devil by the blood of the Lamb. That is what Christ has done for us, recorded in his word, and the word of our testimony, so the experience of it. But experience doesn't trump Scripture. Scripture trumps experience every time. Exactly. I think it's a dangerous thing to seek experience, right? Like, So experience is good when it's the experiences that we're told that we're going to experience in the Bible. Right. Suffering, persecution for our faith. Those experiences grow our faith. They they make our character stronger, so that we can depend more on Christ. They're good experiences, but we're not we're not told to seek for experiences that aren't in Scripture. They're, we're not, and like you were saying, we're not looking for experiences to validate what Scripture says. Right. If I never walk on water. I'm still fully in Christ, even though you know, Peter walked on water for a brief moment. Right. Jesus walked on water, so I should be able to? Right. No, because I don't need that experience, right? I and, have scripture that says that. And that's actually, a, that's, that's a great point, because, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, it, it seems absurd for us to point to that example, right? That's why I used it. Yeah. But, I mean, think of some, even some of the Old Testament things, right? Like, you think about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, right? There's a, a story that's familiar to m- many of us. How did the walls of Jericho fall down, right? They walked around the city seven times, right? 
for seven days. And the last time they walked around it seven times, they blew the trumpets, the walls fell down, they took Jericho, right? If somebody's looking back at that and, and wanting to experience what the Bible's saying, then, you know, military generals for, you know, every, every year after that recorded event would be using that as a strategy to take the city, right? That, that, that wasn't the, the experience wasn't the strategy. The, the strategy was obedience to Christ. And so the Bible isn't telling you, go and seek all these experiences. The Bible has commands for us. And the truth is, there are periods in, in Israel's history where God was silent to people, right? Where, where there were no miracles, there, was, there were no prophets, there were no words from God. And so what did people need to be doing in the meantime? Well, they needed to be obedient to what they have heard. And so here we are living in a time when so many people are Bible illiterate, and yet they're so hungry and thirsty for Holy Spirit experiences. And I, I think sometimes um, we we seek those experiences at the expense of just plain obedience to the text and plain study of the text. Two points on that quickly. I isn't it funny that nobody ever wants the experiences that are negative? Like nobody ever wants to be thrown into the lion's den. Right. Nobody's like, man, I, I really hope today the government comes into my house, takes me and throws me in a fiery furnace. Right. I've never heard anyone say that seriously. Right. But then people with the same hand will be like, I very much hope that I get the gift of healing or not that there's anything wrong with healing but i mean like they they seek those gifts but they don't seek right. all the other miraculous things that we see in scripture they they very much pick and choose what what they're at, what they're after so that's the first thing i was going to say about that and the second thing i want to say is that is that jesus actually warned us to to not seek signs he said the signs of the time you will receive no sign but the sign of jonah right like the signs aren't needed so the gifts are benefits of the giver right so we've talked about that before Seek Jesus and we'll get other things, maybe. Right. I mean, we have everything we need, as we discussed earlier, in Scripture. Right. Anything subsequent that comes from that, tongues or healing, yeah, isn't the point. The point is Jesus. And I think that's just important to remember that, like, a generation that's looking for miraculous signs is an adulterous and wicked generation. Right. And that's what the Bible says. That's not Chris Putz's words. Right. Yeah, and, and I would just say that, you know, those miraculous signs, you know, when they show up legitimately, they show up on the mission field. And I don't mean overseas missions. I just mean when we're busy doing the work of evangelism, when we're busy doing what Christ commissioned us to do, go make disciples of all nations, that's when those things show up because God promises his power for mission, not so that our church services are more spectacular, not so that, you know, we can puff ourselves up with spiritual gifts and, and, and titles and offices and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is promised for the fulfillment of the mission. So for, and, and the other thing, I mean, it, it's just funny how people would prefer, you know, super, these supernatural gifts, like the ability to pray for somebody and see them physically healed. Sometimes we, we, we want that more than we actually want to see conversion. And that's, that's a problem. Recognize that the, the most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit does is regenerate a heart, right? And sometimes the church gets caught up in this idea like, oh, we want to see people's limbs grow back. We want to see, you know, people healed of cancer and all this kind of stuff. And, and hey, I'm, I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm saying like, amen. Yeah, absolutely. We want to see God work in power, but I'm far more concerned. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician 
who went into ministry, became a preacher because he said he was tired of healing people's physical ailments through medicine and then watching them go back into their sin. So, you know, let, let's let's call the most miraculous thing what the Bible calls the most miraculous thing, and that is the dead coming to life in Christ. So anyway, uh, I feel like we kind of trailed off on, on that one, but uh, it's such an important thing, and, and we're Bible guys here, so we can talk about the Bible all day. I have, I have one question on that then. Not that we want to seek signs, but just for fun, if you could go back and witness one event in the Bible, which event would you witness? Just from a cloud watching it, just chilling. Okay. Not the cross. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I felt obligated to say, although like watching, yeah, anyway. I feel like um, that'd be too hard. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, I would want to be yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'm going to I'm gonna lump in the resurrection with that too because like seeing 100%. the resurrection. So let, let's, let's throw that back and say non-Jesus related. Can we say that? That's fair. You That's know, because um, if it was Jesus related, we're just talking about a straight miracle. I would say maybe the the calming of the sea, right? Because that's that was pretty cool. Not only did Jesus command the wind and the waves and they obeyed, but um, what I've always thought that was cool about that story is after he he told it to cease, it says that the the sea was still, right? That that the waves were calm. So not only did God stop the wind immediately. But he also stopped the effects of the wind because we know that if the wind stops immediately, then the, wind, the, the waves are still going to be crashing around because it takes a while for the sea to calm. So Jesus calmed the wind and the waves ceased immediately. Like that, that, That's super supernatural, right? But I, the answer I would say is um, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Like That's pretty awesome. Not only is like witnessing Elijah calling fire down from heaven pretty awesome and, and just completely saturating a water-saturated altar in flames. That'd be cool, but just the whole event leading up to it, like, it's actually quite funny. So you got 500 prophets of Baal, like, hitting themselves and cutting themselves and doing everything they can to try to get their fake God to light an altar. And and Elijah's mocking them. Like, talk about a, a guy who's good at chirping, right? Like, his, his trash talk was on point. And so he, uh, so Elijah's sitting there and he's saying, hey, maybe your God's just going to the bathroom, right? Like maybe, maybe he's just relieving himself. Maybe he's not listening. Maybe he's asleep right now. Like he's just trash talking them, which is awesome because he knows idolatry is idiocy. And so uh, that was awesome. And then of course, you're, you're still going to get the battle because it says after Elijah was successful, it says Israel turned back, they, they praised God. And then he actually takes the 500 prophets and it says it's, he slays them at the bottom of the mountain. So you're getting your battle, you're getting your supernatural event, you're getting some great trash talking. What about you? I, the natural, my natural response to this one would, would always be like the walls of Jericho or something like the parting of the Red Sea where you're just like, that would just be awesome to, to see. Right. I, I think I actually go with a, with a, like a more, in my opinion, more supernatural event. And I just think wandering in the desert God lighting the way with the the fiery column, mm. and then manna every day from the from heaven. Just seeing that and being able to like every day to just completely depend on God for guidance, food, shelter, everything. Like I just think that would be very cool to witness. But that's not as fun to say. So I'm gonna say. I was just gonna say that's a way more spiritual answer than mine. I had, I had time. I had time to think about it. Whereas yeah, you went like yeah. you went right away. So. What I'm going to say is my real answer. That was the fake answer. This okay. is the real answer. The real answer would be David's mighty men just watching one guy fight like 20,000, yeah. 10,000. That would be sweet. Somebody Abishai, should make a movie. Like, 
you know, defend, defending the the hill of beans, right? When he's standing in the lentil field and he just kills all the Philistines. That was awesome. Not that I'm advocating like violence or anything, but like yeah, it like would really be very violent. much like a Sith fighting just tons of <laughs> full circle, full, full circle. circle. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, we're running out of time on this podcast. So, but since we talked about the Bible, let's get our Christian life hack in. Let's make it about the Bible. Uh, first of all, Chris, should Christians highlight their Bibles and how? Yes, I think they should. Um, not because I think there's anything overly like it's not more spiritual if you highlight your Bible and some people don't. I just think it's good for quick reference to go back to find verses that impacted you. Right. Generally, you're meant not something to you at the time. Exactly. You're not. You're not uh, highlighting verses like he begat Jebediah or whatever. You know what I mean? Where two or three are gathered <laughs> in your name. <laughs> that probably is highlighted in a lot of people's verses. Um, and a lot of prayer meetings are going to be ruined by this podcast, I think. Um, but I think it's important to be able to quickly reference verses that did impact you. And for me, I know that when I reread a book, so for instance, I just went back through Romans for the first time this year anyway. Um, generally, I get through it once a year or whatnot. But um, went back through Romans and I just seeing all my highlights from the year before. And I'm like, man, I see different things that impact me this time that through it. I see different attributes of God's sovereignty or God's grace and God's justice. And I just think highlighting helps that. Right. Um, but there's no strict rule on it. I do have a funny story about that though, if you want to hear it right now. Go for it. <laughs> so don't judge me before I say this, but my very first Bible I actually stole from a girl. Um, I wasn't judged. A, judged. <laughs> um, I wasn't a Christian and I saw the Bible and I was like, you know, I really want to check that out, but I didn't want to, I was too prideful. I didn't want to ask for a Bible. So I just, you know, threw it in my bag. Um, and I went home and I, I trust me. Again, What's again, the statute of limitations on petty theft? Are you going to get in trouble for this? No, I did try to return it. Um, oh, nice. the, the lady's name was Jody. She was a youth for Christ worker. Um, she apparently knew I took it the whole time. Um, but I did try to return it after I was saved and I felt terrible about it. And she told me to keep it. But anyway, long story short, I, I remember opening the Bible and it was like, there was pink highlights, there was yellow highlights, there was blue highlights, there was green highlights, like pen highlights, pencil highlights, notes. And I'm like, even a, like, even a section like was like completely highlighted. So you it looked like, like super spiritual. Well, I remember like, you know, for the first little while when, before I was again saved, I would bring that Bible and just open it to like Leviticus and be yeah, like, In a way that everyone in the Bible study could see. Oh yeah. If Instagram, if Instagram <laughs> existed at that time, I would have been highlighting and picturing that Bible up so people would know I was in my devotions every day. Because what's didn't the help. point of doing devotions if nobody knows if about nobody it? If nobody sees it, right? So <laughs> Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. So that was my funny story. I did try to return it for anybody listening and judging me. Nice. So uh, Christian Life Hack, highlight your Bible. It, it's good to, to be able for quick reference, but also just so you can see uh, what, the, what impacted you and what's been affecting your life as you uh, continue on in your, in your devotions as you go back over. So awesome. Uh, thanks for joining us again, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time on the Rebel Alliance podcast.